Oborn and Heller on Cricket, brought to you by the Chiswick Calendar. Hello, it's Richard Heller from a beautifully sunny southeast London. Apologies from Peter, who's not able to join us today. Very grateful once again to our friend Roger Alton for opening the attack at the pavilion end in his place. Hi, it's Roger here. I'm in uh, Dulwich and um, looking forward to the Six Nations and was uh, watching some of the test match in Christchurch last night, which is interesting, but slow. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, very glad to have with us today, Roger, uh, two guests of whom it may be said fairly that they've, between them, raised cricket writing to heights never before attempted, let alone achieved. <laughs> it's a golden age, Richard. Don't, yeah, don't hype us at all. Oh, no, uh, only fair. Um, but um, seriously, we are very glad to welcome John Houghton, who's the author of The Meaning of Cricket, it's a very insightful collection of essays and personal reminiscences, uh, largely drawn from his very popular blog, The Old Batsman, which illuminate, well, the meaning of cricket. And with him is, um, is Matt Thacker. Matt is the managing editor of The Night Watchman, Wisdom Cricket Quarterly's roundup of the very best in... Um, and very good uh, too. Uh, the very best in cricket literature. There you are, an unsolicited testimonial. Um, and Matt is also the publisher of Fairfield Books, the imprint founded by Stephen Chalk, who's uh, been a guest of ours a couple of times, and um, it produces some very fine cricket titles, including two which um, we've covered on the podcast. So welcome, both of you. Hello. Thank you, Richard. Lovely to be here. A few weeks ago, you might have heard a pretty scathing attack on the whole community of cricket writers for more or less perpetuating an ideology of um, of cricket and a history of cricket, which is controlled by you know upper class amateur toffs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, and um, <laughs> oh, uh, you're not going to find any disagreement here. Well, nothing like that here today, of course. But um, we really wanted to explore that attack and to have your thoughts on it, both of you. Uh, to my mind, it, re it reminded me a little bit of the sort of demands that were made on writers as far back as the 1930s, that they sort of be on one side or the other of, um, you know, of a great struggle. John, let's go to you. Do you think, it's, do you think cricket writers have to, as it were, take sides, have to be on one side of a class struggle um, or another? Um, well, uh, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I, it, yeah, it was Duncan Stone, wasn't it? That it you was. Were, you were speaking to whose book mm. I'm reading at the moment, and I think is terrific and really interesting and comes at it from uh, yeah, a really interesting place. But to say that everyone has to come from that place, I think is probably ideologically wrong and wrong in in very many ways to say that cricket has a problem with you know white upper class people is evident and obvious and it goes far beyond the people who write about the game but i do think what the 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 internet has done and i'm speaking as someone who who started writing about cricket as a blogger although i already was a writer but um and i never wanted to write about cricket because it was kind of my thing you know it was the place i sort of went to when i didn't want to think about writing and stuff like that, but I started writing about it anyway and completely blew that notion. Um, but I, th I think there was this great democratisation of voices that came along with 
first of all blogging and then Twitter and and now you see these kind of uh, these sort of monoliths being ter- torn down in many ways. I know it's not hugely revolutionary or completely effective, but even this morning. I was reading my Michael Vaughan's quite terrible Mia Culpa in the Telegraph, where he's he's been off on some diversity course or something for three months, trying to you know get his job back or whatever he's trying to do, and it, you think that came about because of Twitter? You know where did Azim Rafiq's voice come from? It came from Twitter, and it came from being amplified on social media. And I think that's really important. I know it's that's not really the literature of the game. Eventually, that will bleed into the literature of the game, and that will change the way we think about the game. So I, I think that's a point worth making, first of all. Interesting. In the case of Azim Rafiq, must also pay tribute to George Dobell, who was a very notable guest of ours some, some weeks ago. Yeah, definitely. I mean, George, yeah, instrumental. That's a very, very good point. Uh, I, I personally, I feel Vaughan was extremely harshly treated by that whole episode. And um, I've got his uh, piece today in front of me, but I haven't read it yet. But um, that's my, my personal feeling. I mean, just on that, the Stone stuff, which I listened to, but haven't read his book. I mean, I thought the point about a lot Cardus wrote a lot about was the fact that these were huge not sort of upper-class efforts, these massive county games that he went to. And I don't see particularly that it's sort of changed any much for the worse. And well, maybe I've got that completely wrong, being a sort of idiot. But, I mean, it does strike <laughs> me as there is, you can classify this stuff to the living end, and it's probably not quite right that the... The problems with cricket go wider and deeper and to do with lack of pitches and also the changing nature of society. Yeah, I think I think Duncan's point was about the cricket writing being done by the the, the sort of the upper class writers mm. who tended to be Southern. And that's where cricket was not the same as the Northern Leagues and it wasn't played to win. And uh, and, and therefore the literature that we've got often um, sort of between the wars literature tends to tends to idolise village cricket and, and that, that that's the the idyllic England that you see on the village green is is it co- comes out in the literature and it's not what Duncan recognises, which is where in 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 his view cricket really comes from, which is the which is the hard bit in northern leagues and sort of sort of the stuff that Cardus to an extent was writing about with the Lancashire and the Yorkshire games, but that's where those players came from. But I think I think John's dead right in that in the, it's it's never been easier to write about cricket these days, but it's actually never been okay. harder to get published writing about cricket because everybody everybody's a writer now, and and that's fantastic. Mm. But but the writing is not books; it it is tweets and it's mm. and it's blogs and 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 if you're lucky, we what we do in in the Night Watchman is call it long form, and that that might be two thousand words, which is you know for John that's oh, it's a morning, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> So, 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 so there is just a single mo- thought in yeah. 2000 words. <laughs> but I mean, Night Watchman, I mean, Night Watchman does, I mean, for example, that piece by Ellie Oldroyd about discovering that her card of a cricketer called your northern cricketer was her, her relative, but in fact, wasn't her relative. It was a wonderful piece, you know, sort of going absolutely not, absolutely love it. And that's what's so great about your magazine. And I think, as, as um, John says, so great about what people can write now. You can write it sort of everything matters, it's not just some socking great mm. book. Well, Roger, I mean, Roger, I've been kind of interested in your take on this because one of the other things I think happened and as matt points out in terms of length of stories now you can go anywhere from 280 characters to a hundred thousand words and there are vessels to accommodate that 
Yeah. Whereas yeah. back in the days of newsprint, it was you know two hundred and fifty words or whatever written on the written on the bell or on the close of play, yeah. and that was how the game was talked and written about. It was either at that length or it was in wisdom or it was a mm. book. Mm. Well, now mm. you have all these other forms of expression, absolutely, absolutely and, right. you know, and and ways of telling stories that I think have again democratized the way that stories are told. Um, I mean, a really kind of brief splitting of hairs on Cardus as well. I mean, he was the son of a prostitute and, you know, yeah. came from very low birth himself, you know, so... Although he had devoured Dickens by the age of 10, John. Yeah, yeah. He probably lied about his upbringing. <laughs> you can't stop him doing that. Nothing can. <laughs> I think I think what you say is absolutely right. I think it's an extraordinary development and you now see the argument oh stone's argument struck me as probably i was completely sort of off it partly because of what you said that you now everybody can write about cricket and that you access to outlets is huge completely different from when i started in journalism so but it's that kind of it's it's it comes to the way you think about stories doesn't it you know Mm. i always think they sort of have a natural length and for a lot of time they they were being shoved into things that were unnatural lengths if you think of the standard cricketer's autobiography for years years and years well it had to be 70,000 words or whatever or the tour diary had to be 60,000 words so you ended up with this with rubbish just because it had to be in that format whereas at least now you have that choice of right how do I tell this story yeah what's the best way of telling this story fascinating it is about what the story is as well I think with Duncan there's a there's a there's a righteous indignation that 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 cricket's history has been told by whether the winners or not, I don't know, but certainly the empowered, the wealthy, the public school boys generally. And and I think that's that indignation is, is slightly misplaced in that, in I think it is about the stories and I think stories about a diverse group of cricketers, uh, let's call them differently abled. If you're talking about our team, that it's, it's so much more interesting than say a diary of, of a team of a, of a of a league team that whose one ambition is to win the league and and that 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 would be a diary form whereas if you're writing about if cricket is simply your jumping off point rather than everything and it's all about the win then i think you 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 can bring so much more into the writing so yeah. so i totally agree with with duncan's point about cricket as a whole um being 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 run by the elite and therefore literature as well but I, but i don't think in terms of literature, that's necessarily a, a, a bad thing because in the end, if, if it's a good book and a good story, then that's what people will read. Mm. I agree. One thing I would hope there'd be more of would be books like The Test by Nathan Lehman. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Not a novel. And, and, and for my man, there aren't quite enough novels about cricket. Well, no, come on I, to that. I, yeah, I would agree. Mm. But I mean, it's like, yeah, mm. it's kind of like the, the great darts novel or something, isn't it? It's sort of unwritten because <laughs> a pub general, again, this is where you can hope for the, the kind of democratization in a way, is that generally publishers aren't going to publish them because, the, you know, the, you're salami slicing the market, as they say. So far, you know, cricket books don't get a huge readership, and then, you know, cricket, fictional cricket books get even smaller readership. So, yeah. It, you can see it's difficult, but but um, yeah. maybe that's the next place cricket will go, or into a kind of hybrid space in between fact and fiction. John, John, and I play for a team called the Authors Eleven, which, as the name suggests, is a team of writers. And and one of our players, Sebastian Folks, has has said to us on on numerous occasions that he did write a cricket book, <laughs> but he simply <laughs> threw it away because his, his his thinking was, I've got twenty two characters, all of whom have wives and partners. I've got the umpires and the scorers. There's just too much going on. 
And I think it's it, it's because cricket is not about necessarily, sorry, if you're writing cricket, but it's not necessarily about what's going on on the pitch. You end up with too many, too much going on. Mm. And that's why I think it, it's the, the, there isn't that much. I think that, you know, the, there have been outliers, there have been Netherlands, and there's been um, Chinaman. Chinaman's fantastic. Yeah, mm, yeah it is. And, it's, and, and again, it's a jumping yeah. off point, isn't it? And, and it's, yeah. it's incredibly multicultural um, for, for both of them, actually. They're both yeah. sort of, both authors yeah, there have lived. True. But it's that, I mean, that that you're, what you're talking about there is exactly true. It goes back to Duncan's point, I suppose, about this great romanticization of cricket and its symbolism as 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 something, you know. And um, it, it, yeah, Matt was uh, talking to Matt earlier, and uh, he was mentioning something I'd written ages ago about uh, ever decreasing circles, the sitcom, because mm. in many ways the sitcom is the perfect receptacle for cricket. Um, it always every sitcom has a has a cricket episode, and it always works because you you know in the Dad's Army cricket episode you immediately know what sort of cricketer Pike is going to be and what sort of cricketer Mannering is going to be, and it, it it plays out again and again. And it's because cricket does tell you something about class and and probably beyond class, it tells you something about status. It tells you something about you know where everyone stands in the rank of things. Yeah, it's 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 a revealer of character, isn't it, rather than a builder of character. Yeah, it, yeah, in that respect, yeah, and I, I think in many ways, Sebastian's point is right. It's a nightmare trying to write a novel about cricket, but if you've got existing characters that you can slip into cricket, it works brilliantly well. Tragically, the BBC seems to have lost the television recording of Captain of the Dad's Army cricket. Yeah, which has Fred Truman in it, doesn't it? It is. Fred Truman's the opposition fast bowler, which is even better. Yes, the ringer. The the warden's uh, (laughs) typical cheating importer importer ringer. And you just know know, know that John Lemagirier is going to win the match. You you kind of, before it even starts, you know that's what will happen. And it, it duly does. And you know that Mannering is going to be furiously jealous <laughs> what, what, <laughs> watching from the pavilion. Oh, he's very chancy, you know, very chancy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd like to read a cricket novel by Sebastian that I've played cricket with for years. I mean, I would like to read one. I'll certainly go and buy one. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that nobody buys them, as John says. I mean, I'm surprised because the test was a very good story. Hmm. Yeah, but I think, I think, I think, but again, the test, the, the, a lot of the reason the test had that veracity was because people knew who Nathan was. Yeah. And so when he kind of wrote about the dressing room, you sort of, uh, people believed him. Yeah. Whereas if one of us just kind of invented a few characters and started getting them to say things, it, it kind of deadens on the page a little it's bit. It's definitely added, isn't it? It's a romantic clay for Nathan, isn't it? It's like always yeah. that Joe Root and, and, yeah. and yeah. who's doing that. Whereas yeah. he... You know, invented characters. I mean, it's brilliantly done. You mentioned Chinaman as well. It's brilliantly done in Chinaman because there's a Tony Gregg character in Chinaman who isn't called Tony Gregg, Mm. but he's absolutely superbly rendered. You know, it's it's terrific. Yeah, You both mentioned, um, rightly, Netherland and Chinaman, superb novels, contemporary novels about cricket. I found both of them that cricket's treated in a rather Victorian way, a surprisingly Victorian way, in the sense that it's regarded as a source of sort of personal redemption and national redemption, isn't it? And if only, in the case of Netherlands, if only um, the United States played cricket again, it would be redeemed. And in um, Chinaman, if only he could discover, rediscover this great spin bowler that's the main story of the search uh, for this spin bowler is the story of Chinaman. 
um, if it could be discovered, Sri Lanka would be redeemed after civil war. And I wondered if um, any other sport besides cricket carries so much sort of moral baggage and has carried it for so long. Um, I, I think if any if any does, it's probably baseball, isn't it? You know, mm. in, baseball has its place in the great American novel a lot more so than than cricket does in the great. English novel, if there is such a thing, or great British yeah. novel. Uh, you know, you think of the opening of Underworld, for example, is the one that's always cited. But Malamud wrote about baseball. Lots of people wrote about baseball. I think it, and they're, they're, they're sort of cousins as games, aren't they? You kind of understand mm. why there's that. But again, it comes back to romance. It's romanticizing the past, isn't it? I mean, I'd sort of agree with you on uh, Netherland in terms of the role of cricket, but I think it's slightly different in in Chinaman. It's you know. Cricket has a a much more immediate cultural significance in Sri Lanka because it was tied in so much with what was happening in the country at the time, the yeah. World Cup win of of ninety six or it was. Um, no. uh, it, it it just it resonated in a different way. They, was, they were kind of having moments that, as a country, other countries have been through a lot further back in the past, but. That goes a little bit down to the, you know, the sort of the first victory over the mother country that always has such symbolism in cricket, whether it's Australia, India, Pakistan, whoever, you know, the first time they beat England significantly, that's a big thing. So I think there's a touch of that in in Chinaman, but it's also a very mystical novel, I think, Chinaman. It's yeah. about something that doesn't exist and yeah. uh, that, that it's that yearning for something that, that lifts it above being just a cricket narrative, I think. Yeah. Baseball has this huge central part of American culture, sort of film and book. It's completely embedded in the whole thing. And I, I, it's sort of odd to me that cricket might be embedded in Dad's Army and sitcoms, but it's not in the culture of Britain. Maybe it's just because we're a sort of smaller country. I don't know. But baseball is so integral to America and America's nature. Well, it, it is. It probably is. But then, I mean, are, you know, you'd have the same argument. Are, are you know guys in LA who are in gangs reading you know Don DeLillo no you know they're not their 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 version of America is something completely different and baseball probably doesn't have anything to do with that and that's probably true of cricket as well in many ways but it, I mean I, I think you're right Roger in that it's not embedded in the culture in the same way if you if you go to Australia you go into any pub there will be cricket on the television and and, and same is true of New Zealand and that's that's not the case in England and for better yeah. or worse we we have lost Mm. We, we have lost cricket as part of the national conversation and the national consciousness. It, it, it is it is becoming niche and increasingly niche. Mm. Is that because of something so simple as the fact that it's not on terrestrial TV? Do you think? I think that's definitely part of it. I think there's the 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 life life has moved on. It's it's mm. it we, we we're probably not really a country that is very suited to cricket, even though it started here. Yeah. It, it's a dry game played in a wet land, and that's mm. not the case in Australia. Yeah, it's yeah. it's the, 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 there is there, there are plenty more um pastimes that 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 are suit the English consciousness and geography and weather, I think. The, than cricket and I think you any pub you go in you will see football this weekend as you were saying you will see rugby but cricket you, you, you you're having to to get up at early o'clock to watch New Zealand South Africa and that's your diet of cricket it's mm -hmm. it's, it's it's different and it, it, it's becoming marginalized it is baseball uh, going back to um, John's point baseball I think is much more embedded in American certainly small town life than cricket is in England I mean in every American small community you know, there's a sort of progression in baseball. You, you know, and kids will play kids will play pop water baseball, little league baseball. 
they'll go right through, and if they're any good, they might get an athletic scholarship. Um, they might get out of their little community into, you know, into a good American college by playing by playing baseball. And there'll be that same pathway for American football, I'm guessing. Yes. It's, it's, they're yeah. they're yeah. absolutely embedded as, as part of life. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's a, yeah, baseball. <laughs> baseball's also crazy, isn't it? Because they play so many games. <laughs> it's just <laughs> insane. <laughs> it's like 170 games and the season hasn't even started. So you yeah. think when you think county cricket's weird, go and look at baseball. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy game. Yeah. When, you th- when you think cricket umpires have a hard job, I always think what... You know, pales compared to what a baseball umpire has to do. He has to judge whether a ball's passing through an imaginary zone in the air, um, and gets yeah, that's true. Yeah. You know, gets yeah. chewed out if he, if anybody thinks it's wrong. Yeah, um, Matt, um, going back to the democratization of cricket writing, uh, you're a publisher. Are you seeing any evidence in the submissions to either the Night Watchman or perhaps to Fairfield Books of this democratization? process are people submitting to you more writing about different kinds of cricket from the well the traditional sort of white elite stuff that um duncan attacked yeah most definitely we are and increasingly so i mean the the team that we started with was osman samuddin uh tanya aldred and myself and then angeli doshi joined us so we were consciously trying to make it worldwide cricket and we were consciously not trying to go for white middle-aged males then again, we will find entire issues, which is populated by white middle-aged males talking about how much fun it was when England were terrible in the 1990s, which is the trope that, that people of our age, of, of, of mine and John's age, it tend to love because, because wasn't it terrible when we were kids growing up and really falling in love with it, with a, with a bad side? And there's, there's an awful lot of that. And that has, as far as I'm concerned, that has to be incredibly well written to get anywhere near publication, whereas we are more lenient, I think, with 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 other subjects and other authors so yeah we, we, we're definitely seeing a younger demographic writing um and we're seeing a a, a diverse range of of, of topics and, and and very worldwide um yeah and including poetry which um whenever <laughs> i bring it up on our editorial meetings i can see on my zoom here john's just collapsed into laughter yeah, every, there's a poem every but but by far the i mean of the of the kind still say of the unsolicited submissions by far the most popular is it's reminiscences about my father, isn't it? It's always that. That's oh. that's the one. That's the one that everyone thinks is going to clutch at the heartstrings. Uh, damn, I had a piece just here, actually. <laughs> Send it in, Roger. He's a jolly good player. Can I ask a tiny question, Matt? I find it virtually impossible to get hold of, Night Watchman. And, I mean, I sent off a subscription some time ago, but it's never arrived. So I, I don't know where to get it. That's that's my... um. Good, good to use this time as customer services. <laughs> now, where, where would I go to buy it now? I don't believe it'll go. You would go to the website, um, www.thenightwatchman.net. It's it's we what what we've done. It is it, it is in some newsstands, but the newsstand trade is yeah. just a horrible beast. Um, so so what we try to do is we try to keep it as as much as possible subscription only and direct through us so that we're we're, we're cutting out okay. lots and lots of middlemen. I'll have another go. I'll send you details after. Uh, no, so, I mean, you can't. I couldn't go to the oval shop, for example, or, or to. The, the, I mean, there is no oval shop. Uh, everything is online. Uh, I mean, there is now because they have a new development. But but so few. The, there are so few physical stores these days that that you are either buying direct through us uh, electronically, or you're buying direct through Amazon or whoever, whoever, and then the publisher, and therefore the writers are are 
giving uh, or are paying 65% for the for the uh, privilege of being uh, listed on other sites. So we've tried to keep it um, sure. uh, within ourselves. John, Duncan Stone was particularly scathing about a certain genre of um, cricket writing, which he described as the loose writer genre. Um, yeah, this guy's really got it in for me. I mean, I, I just don't like it. That's right. I, I'll say I, that well, now. Well, we've uh, Peter and I have felt, you know, uh, we're 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 pretty shaken um, uh, when uh, when he was uh, when he was our guest. I mean, yeah, um, but uh, you know, he said uh, he he singled out Marcus Berk- Duncan singled out Marcus Berkman, uh, Miles Jupp as um, examples yeah. of it. Is there too much cricket writing about? No, I, I kind of I see. Yeah. It's one of those things, isn't it? It's about a, a genre in itself, and genres have a certain, you know, mm. um, lifespan and and stages of life. And when Marcus came along with Rain Men, mm. no one had done that, and that's what that's why it was so successful. In the same way that you know every other sort of genre of cricket book, when done for the first time, pretty much you know. Everyone tried to imitate. It's a great compliment, isn't it? If you do something that everyone then tries to imitate, but it it becomes more and more diluted as you go along, and it's the same thing. You know, it's sort of a reference about everyone wanting to write a piece about their father and cricket. You know, it's mm. everyone sort of. Feels, oh, well, I've had those experiences. I've got a funny bloke who bats number eleven. I've got, mm. you know, Marcus is a tremendous comic writer, and if you read his stuff that isn't <laughs> about cricket, it's also funny. You know, it's mm. it, it it so. When it's in good hands, it'll work and it'll always work. But I, um, there's nothing wrong with, with being iconoclastic and throwing stones at this sort of thing. Mm. But it will always be part of the game because it will always be someone's experience. And I, I just I, I don't think you make anything better by reducing the size of it. You, you make it better by kind of, you know, you can change emphasis and, and give more opportunities and, and do different things. But there will always be for argument's sake, middle-aged, middle-class white men enjoying cricket. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it, it shouldn't necessarily be demonised. It just that shouldn't necessarily be the only thing yeah. that happens either. You know? yeah. But I, I would stand up for Marcus as a writer. He's a terrific yeah. writer. and I'd, I'd, You don't have, deserve to have stones at you for, for having written a good book. And it was slightly anomalous, wasn't it, in that Harry and Mark, so Harry Thompson, sorry, who wrote Penguin Stop Play, and Marcus went to the same school and went to the same university and were in the same cricket <laughs> team and both wrote book. Then Marcus yeah. wrote another book about what was ostensibly the same side. See, that's that's the kind of thing that you can imagine getting someone angry. <laughs> yeah, and then you've got you you've got Fatty Batter, Michael Simpkins as well, and and and, and it does become a. They've got to be really good to cut through. I think at that stage, as John says, if you keep repeating the same thing. But I played I played league cricket up north, and I played with almost exactly the same group of players. We 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 went on tour, and we had enormous fun. Nobody's ever wanted to write about a season of league cricket, but we'd all want to write about the antics we got up to on tour because it's yeah. because that's not about the cricket. It's about it's about all every every everything that goes around it and the personalities and that's what Marcus has done and Harry's done and and so on and Miles is a different book Miles is Miles is not about uh, a team he plays for Miles is quite simply the worst cricketer I've ever seen on a cricket pitch so he wouldn't be in any side at all it's about yeah. it's about a con where he goes to India and pretends he's a journalist and, and rubs shoulders with Gower and both them and it's and, and it's funny because Miles is funny and yes, he's he's privileged and 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 he's able to write and publish because of because of his his standing in in society. Can I ask you a question? Why wouldn't there be a book about a season of league cricket? Why not? Sort of? 
I think I think there could be and would be if it, if it was self-published, but I can't, as John was saying earlier, no yeah. publisher is going to say, yeah, I'm, that, that's that's going to have resonance around the country. I mean, it's 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 about 11 to 20 people who 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 are probably in the same way as an amateur side, really pulling for pulling for each other. But there'll be, you know, some dramas along the way. But I, I don't see it as anything unless it is self-funded that is going to create publisher interest. Mm. I mean, there is a guy, there's a guy, I should mention a, a guy who writes um for Matt quite often at the Night Watchman and, and at Wisdom, Scott Oliver, who is a, uh, a dyed-in-the-wool. He plays in this terrifying Northern League where, like, the you know, the average score on a Saturday is 43 because the opposition have all got five professional overseas bowlers who played, like, one test for Pakistan you know, that you've never heard of. And it's an amazing, it's an amazing world. And he, write, you know, he writes about it brilliantly. And it's an amazing world. If someone could bring it to life, this idea of, you know, kids... That I'm joking, but there are these guys they play against who, who played a couple of ODIs or something who get a gig as a, you know, 100 quid a week pro and they're living over living over a shop or they're you know in digs with someone that's interesting if you yeah. could make that work that would yeah. work really well but it, it's kind of having the angle and and seeing what the story is and seeing how it would work but interestingly um, what scott's landed on as a as an idea for a book is minor counties upsets so, so when you know bedfordshire took on the west indies and beat them so it's so it's so there's actually some kind of connection with oh i, I remember them or yeah that you know i saw them on telly in the 70s or the 80s whereas with his north staffs league it's 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 just a group of names that you don't know, and you'd really have to to to, to read the whole thing to buy into it. Um, yeah, I mean, I it's, it's, it, that that sort of league cricket is relentlessly grim. You know, it's mm. it's 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 not that that what would be interesting as well, which I think Scott does write about really well, is is your motivations for playing it because it is so tough. It's not you know, it's not remotely relaxing. It's not, you don't think I'm going to enjoy today. <laughs> Yeah, the the enjoyment comes from the sh- the sheer struggle of you know high level league cricket. Mm. Um, it, it 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 is it's really it is an interesting subject. The more we're talking about it now, the more I think you could really do something with this. Mm. I mean, it's always struck me that league cricket is so far away from fun as it's possible to be. But wouldn't that actually be quite a good subject for a book of some sort? Just the sheer doer kind of toughness of the whole business. Like yeah, living I, in a shoebox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the cricket misery memoir. I don't know. You'd have to have a kind of cover of a young, you know, one of those colourised black and white covers of a young child holding a cricket bat, <laughs> looking terrified because he knew what his life was going to be like. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I mean. I think it could. It's like all these things. You need someone who see who can do it. You need someone to do it, and then everyone will be doing it. Mm, um, mm. So. It, if you're looking to make a pitch to Matt, maybe now, and you're a grim Northern yeah. League cricketer, or even a Southern League cricketer. But I don't, I don't know. I was always terrified, like having come from the south and growing up playing cricket. I was always terrified of going sort of north of Watford because mm. it did have this reputation. It was like, it's like I was similarly afraid of Australian grade cricket. And and actually, here we go. This is this is mm. something we should talk about. Is the grade cricketer. Mm. Yep. which is uh, a, an Australian invention of uh, Sam and it's, it's Sam Perry, isn't it? And uh, his yep. mate Ian, whose surname escapes me, but uh, Higgins. The, the Higgins, that's it. They've created a character called the Grey Cricketer, who's this incredibly kind of sad, melancholic 3D character who began life on Twitter, but has now become a, a sort of industry. 
And it's just about the trope of, of grade cricket in Australia, how tough it is, why you keep playing it. The, the grade cricketer himself is constantly trying to impress his father who won't watch him play. And it's got this sort of sadness to it and it's very funny That's and it's fabulous. instantly recognisable. And it, and again, that's something that came from Twitter. You know, it didn't. And, and come they've from, done a couple of books, John. Yeah, they have. Yeah, the books that were really good. The, yeah. the second book was really, really good. Yeah. Um, and and they do. You know, now they've got. I mean, to show how good it was, they've sort of had. I would say every Australian Test cricketer now on the program at some point or another on the podcast, because they all recognise the experience that's being described of great cricket. Um, yeah. And so it's it's about veracity, isn't it? So if you could do that from a from a league cricket point of view, I'm sure that would work. So can I ask? Can you just can I just go onto the internet and look up the great cricketer and read some of this stuff? Yeah, it sounds fabulous. Yeah, it, yeah it's great. It's, it's most. I think now it's mostly a podcast. Is it? It's is most I'm, I'm not really on board with. Yeah, the it, book it, I think is No Tea and Sympathy. Is that right? Yeah, No Tea and mm. Sympathy, which I've got on the shelf behind me somewhere. Um, mm. Uh, which is which is great, and yeah. again, it's just these. It, it's sad. It's it's brilliantly done. It's, and it's, really well it's, it's the same as you're talking about the league. It's it's the 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 you know the height of uh, of ambition for a league cricketer in the north is to deny the opposition victory at the last minute. That's that's fantastic, yeah. and it's it's and and that trope it, in in Australia it is the the alpha male grade cricketer, and that's the whole the whole humour comes from that from that one thing that that it's an it's an entirely different world from from normality, and yet it is it's common to so many Australian males and females. Yeah, and they do it brilliantly. Yeah, so, they, and perhaps though they produce generally better test teams. <laughs> that's the answer you get, you get you get one bat every yeah. like seven weeks or something so you, you better not get out yeah. Sam Perry who who runs the great cricket came over and lived in London for a couple of years and played for us as as authors 11 and as you would expect was he like he goes he's, he said oh I don't really bowl and he comes <laughs> on bowls leg spin like Shane Warne you know and he, he can't get a bowl in great cricket <laughs> you see him, you go, he's like this is the best leg spinner I've seen for years you know yeah, he's yeah. amazing and he's not even about it's that terrible thing you know when you play with someone really good and they like so we had this guy last year and he, he scored a hundred off about i know it's like 40 balls or something and then it was revealed to us that he was in fact a bowler and his bat his average <laughs> batting average this year was 11 in the league you know so it's, it's terrifying really when whenever i get a, by chance we get a really good player into my weekend team we usually run him out <laughs> as, as a batsman before he's made very many yeah, but see when you get the youth now you can't run them out they're, yeah, yeah. they're too fast they'll get yeah I've, I've, we were having a bet last year as this this guy was playing for us and I said to Matt do you reckon he could run three while I was running one <laughs> and I think he definitely could I mean they just you it's youth and uh, you know you can't overcome that unfortunately uh. But that's a whole different discussion. <laughs> yeah, it is. I've um, contributed a bit myself to the genre of sort of louche amateur incompetent writing. And all I can say is that if I'd ever tried to write about a competent cricketer, I'd be accused of cultural appropriation. <laughs> because, uh, you know, writing about something I don't know. Um, there is, this debate comes up quite a lot in cricket writing. Can you write about good cricket if you haven't played it at a good level? Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. And I think yeah. you can do it better than people that have played at a good level oh. quite often. And you can commentate about it and yeah. coach it. Yeah. Okay. Because, because it, you know, cricket is full of common experiences. You know, we joke about our cricket, but you still want to play it as well as you can. And 
you can still, I mean, to, to, for argument's sake, you can still have the experience of facing bowling that's too fast for you. Um, that might be, in our, our level, that might be sort of 75 miles an hour. For Mike Atherton, that might be 90 miles an hour. But the physical experience is the same. Um, and, and cricket is full of things like that. And I kind of, in the cricket writing that I've done, I consider it really important that I do play because it keeps you in touch with those emotions. And you can only imagine how heightened they are, you know, in the few bits I've done with professional cricketers. To actually have your income and your living and your future on the line in this capricious game is actually terrifying, you know, because mm. cricket is a game of failure, isn't it? I was just doing something the other day and you, you point out that even the greatest of batsmen don't make their average two times out of every three they bat, you know, so failure is ingrained in the game. The greatest bowlers take a wicket once every 60 balls. That's 59 balls of failure. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's you, in, in any other, if you missed 59 balls in a row at snooker, you, you wouldn't be a professional snooker player. You know, it's it's a game of failure and it, it weighs upon you. And I think this is where the great psychology of the game comes from. Yeah, it, It's about Mike Brilly once compared it, didn't he? Every innings was preparing you for death because mm-hmm. it's like a little death, you know, depending on how how seriously and and. and it affects you when when you're out but the professional cricketer's life is about failing constantly but you have to try and exist within that and I think once you understand that state you can start to get inside their heads and you can start to write about it because it's interesting even great cricketers don't necessarily see themselves as great you know they they because they've got this internal place that they live in that's the same place we all go to when we play the game and if you can tap into that I think you can write about it properly what a brilliant perception. It's absolutely brilliant. I've never uh, thought of it quite like that. To certainly two of the least able cricketers who I've ever played with are the best writers about it, Matt Engel and um, the late Frank Keating. Yeah, yeah. Both fantastic writers about cricket, but really, you know, so not so much on the field. But <laughs> I don't know. I've never, I've never seen them play. It's always, it always is interesting when you see these kind of great writers and you think, oh, I wonder if they'll be any good or not. You know? <laughs> and, you know, quite often they're not. I mean, I was, I was talking to Lawrence Booth, and who, who's editing Edits Wisdom, and he, mm. he sort of rarely ever plays, you know, and, and, and to, he, you know, to him sort of 40 would be a huge score. And yet, so I think that, comp- you know, that completely backs up the argument that you do not have to be a fantastic player to understand the game. It's something about if you're able to understand human beings, you can understand the yeah. game. Yeah, if you look at, I mean, Arlott, Arlott as a commentator and a writer was was, oh, was yeah. not a cricketer. Yeah. I think Dan Dan would love it to hear this, but Dan Norcross these days again plays for us, terrible cricketer, but 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 a great poetic commentator about the game. The Australian writer Jeff Lemon, extraordinary cricket writer, and. and just an embarrassingly bad cricketer. There's, there's no correlation at all <laughs> yeah. between the two. And, and and as John says, it's often better to to understand the frailties and 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 the annoyances of cricket to be able to to be able to put it into words. Yeah, I think what has happened is that television has become fenced off, hasn't it? You know, it's you only get a gig on television if you've played cricket. Now, yeah. um, radio still kind of maintains the boundaries, although it's lost that boundary that you would have had between. Um, you know, Arlott and Truman, where Arlott would commentate on the cricket and Truman would talk about what was happening in the cricket and they wouldn't think of ever treading mm. on one another's toes. Mm. Now it's become more of a sort of generic thing. But um, uh, on TV, I think, no, it's a closed shot now. But that's not to say that 
the, the, the converse can be true. You can be a brilliant cricketer and a brilliant commentator, as Mike Atherton proves. Mike, you know? Mike, so, Mike, Mike. You and a brilliant be, writer, yeah. yeah. And, brilliant, yeah. And, and Jeffrey Boycott, you know, a fantastic speaker about the game in his own colloquial way. Um, so you you can sort of do both, but it's a it's I suppose a coincidence, you know, a fluke of of the gene pool that you throw these guys up who can. What what what's Boycott like as a writer, John? <laughs> you can't. Yeah, Jeffrey Boycott. So, uh, Matt is going to publish. Um, Jeffrey, uh, I'm sure I can say this. Jeffrey Boycott has ri- written a diary of his 108 Test matches. Um, which is an amazing thing. And I really, I, I, I really do think it's an amazing thing because as a writer, loads of people come up and will tell you they're writing a book and they get to about 2000 words. They send it to their best friends who tell them it's great or whatever. And that's the end of it. Well, I mean, he wrote a hundred thousand words plus in his test career. And yeah, okay. It wasn't sort of it, 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 but it was in his voice. And I think the other thing about writing is what you strive for constantly is a voice. If you've got a voice, yeah. You'll be all right, and he's got a voice. So, so Jeffrey actually sent that to me, and I told him that it wasn't very good. <laughs> but I told him, I, did you did you say my granny could write better than that? <laughs> it's really the, the way I couched it was saying that I, I mean, I was I had John in mind for this project already, um, and so I said to Jeffrey, Jeffrey, you're an amazing batsman, and you are capable of putting words on a page. John Hotton, on the other hand, is capable of dinking a single out to mid on <laughs> it's an amazing writer and 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 so jeffrey went for this um so so what we're trying to do i guess is a sort of damned united inside uh mm. boycott's head where john in in i think using the first and second person john um, mainly in, second in, person yeah, mainly second yeah. Person. so you get boycott's diary and then it's accompanied by what's happening around him which i've written so it's a kind of again it's trying to come up with a way of writing about cricket that no one's done before Brilliant. and, and, you, yeah, and you need someone like boycott who's you know he, he's 81 now but he's mm. still willing to make that leap he's been great actually hasn't he he's been great yeah. on this project i mean he's yeah, not he's someone fantastic. i've yeah, traditionally had much time for at all but uh, unless he's been very yeah. open yeah, an amazing person in many ways. When is it coming out? I mean, it'll be out in June. Um, so it'll be forty years since Boycott retired from Test cricket. I think nineteen eighty-two, John. Uh, very early. Eighty-two. Yeah, yeah. Last, he played one Test in nineteen eighty-two, which was the one in India when he uh, he he wrote his resignation and went home afterwards. He'd been. Oh. It's also when he went to play golf when he was ill. He went off to golf. Well, he yeah. he didn't go and play golf. See if you oh, read oh, the diary, oh, man. Oh, he didn't. Oh. <laughs> he went and walked around a golf course with someone <laughs> who was holding some golf clubs. It's very different. But, What's it um, called? What's it going to be called? It's it's it working title is being Jeffrey Boycott. Okay, oh. um, that's yeah, wonderful. He, you know, he's he's amazing. He'd just broken Sober's record as well, so oh. it all happened at the end. Yeah, John, um, what you said about cricket as a game of failure is is very profound, um, very much worth thinking about. But I'd also like to suggest that it's also a game which is very important to us at the lower depths. It's also a game of evanescent success, isn't it? It throws up moments. Even if they're only in nets where you do something absolutely brilliant and you can, and it keeps you going, doesn't it, for a very, very long time. Absolutely. It can keep you warm for a winter, can't it? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, a one, one shot or one, a one delivery. It can absolutely, yeah. yeah. You can keep thinking back to that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always find I'm a much better player in the winter in my head. <laughs> 
than when than in the summer on the field. But no, it does. Of course, it does. And you can always the other great thing is you can always find your level. There's always a game to be had. That's the kind of genius of the game, and it's remarkable that you know cricket, although it responds very well to the urging of time, and it, it you know other sports look on in great jealousy at its variety of formats. Um, it, you know, it, it has remained essentially the three elements of the bat, the ball and the field are the same. The fact that it's still 22 yards. I mean, it's a complete fluke in many ways that 22 yards became the length of the pitch, but it's perfect. It's perfect for everyone who plays. And it's a miracle in a way that it can sustain a six foot eight bowler bowling to a five foot four batsman at 90 miles an hour. Or it can sustain an 80 year old, as we once had, 80 year old opening bowler bowling to a sort of, you know, 30 year old opening bat. And you can still have a contest if the level is right. And that's part of the genius of the game, really. Mm-hmm. Um, just a technical pedantic point. It's not 22 yards for, for children these days. No, but that is it. See, that is it's also a problem, is it? Because it, that was suggested a long time ago as a solution in women's cricket that actually it should be 20 or so yards. But the great problem with that is club cricket and again, and providing mm. shorter pitches of a good standard because you'll always get stuck on the edge of the square. You'll, you know, you, you, you won't get the same uh, standard of pitch and so on that you need. It, it, it is a problem. Um, so I think it's better. I, and I think the women's game has adapted fantastically and is now a completely different offering and is really interesting in its own way. It's almost, and I mean this in the very best way, it's like sort of county cricket was in the in the, in the the 40s and 50s or whatever, when you can have skill overriding power and strength. So you can have bowlers that you know, move the ball around, not at great pace, but they're still really, you know, really, really, genuinely great bowlers and you know you can have batsmen who yeah I think Tammy Beaumont's a what a player you know and it's like you watch her timing is utterly sensational and it's all you know again it comes to that levels and everyone you know uh being of of a sort of similar mindset and I think now it's a really interesting alternative to men's cricket and that test they played in the winter was just unreal you know and it's like play more of those for god's sake yeah yeah, mm. same in the hundred actually. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. It was good in the the, the the women's games were good. I mean, the men's games were all right, but they were just like twenty twenty. Yeah, yeah. It's just big, yeah. big guys bashing it. Whereas yeah. the women's game, I'd like to talk now about the um, the Authors Cricket Club, which you which you both play for. And first of all, both Matt and John, um, give us your career highlights for them, and and don't be modest. Um. Well, the, the Authors 11 was something that was reconstituted by Charlie Campbell and Nick Hogg, I think, in 2012. So this will be, well, we've done we've done 10 years and I joined in 2013. And I think in terms of highlights, it's it, I wouldn't be going over the top to say it's entirely changed my life and for the better in, the, in that it's um, it, it's something I just didn't have at all for a long time, which was a group of people sharing in each other's successes and failures and so much not about the cricket about how various lives are going made made some of the best friends been through failures and successes off the pitch Uh, and it's 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 been genuinely life-changing and this time of year February time all we're doing is waiting for about April the 30th um game down in down in Chilmark and Font Hill which is where we traditionally start the season on pitch highlights um, it's it's probably dull, but 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 it is 
it's things like Anthony McGowan, who hadn't ever made a hundred, uh, making one at Wormsley against the Actors Eleven, including Damian Lewis. Uh, it's someone like Tris Jones, who literally had not scored a single run for eight years for the authors, and then scoring some. It's 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 just moments of utter joy like that. Playing at Wormsley for me, playing at Wormsley, which is the most entitled place in the world, is is just an extraordinary thing. It's like real cricket in that if you hit the ball and it doesn't go straight to a fielder, then it's four. So for a batsman, mm-hmm. it's a joy. And I've shared plenty of very enjoyable times at the crease with John. I would say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, you do feel like you're striking a blow for the, for the working classes when you play at Wormsley. <laughs> Matt, Matt's, Matt's been modest because he played one of the great drunken innings at Wormsley where he sledged Andy Caddick and then reverse swept him and did all sorts of things to him, which was great. But no, I mean, the author's organisation is a, to, to round this off in style, is an organisation Duncan Stone would hate mm. with all, <laughs> because it's overhyped, it's overprivileged, it's you know, disgraceful on many levels, but it is life changing and fantastic. Of- of, of our I eight think, former Eaton schoolboys, three of them yeah, are called Charlie. They, That's they, kind of they are. It it's is. amazing. But I, you know, I didn't do any of that. I went to state school, and it's taken me to places, and I played at places that I never imagined I would play, including Wormsley, and the nursery ground at Lords, which was an extraordinary and Rome afternoon. And Rome, yeah. I mean, just amazing. So that's what cricket can do. Never let go of your dreams, kids. That's what I would say. <laughs> Whom did, whom did you play in Rome? You didn't play the Vatican eleven. We did play yes, the Vatican. Yes, we did. Yeah. We the Vatican, yeah. And and before, <laughs> did, they, did they have did they have Ollie Pope playing for them? <laughs> we did see the Pope. Though. We did. He's, yeah. he's mass or whatever it was. We presented him with a special white author's cap. He did, yeah. yeah. And and we did go into the crypt at St Peter's and have a special service, which was beautiful, actually. Again, really John, amazing. Ordinary really story amazing. of working class folk. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, as I said, but I, you know, I, I, I can, I, you know, having come from comprehensive, you know, scum stock, I consider it a victory, an Orwellian victory, not a Duncan Stone style defeat. Mm, our only victories are off the field, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. You did. You really did see the Pope and gave him a cap. That's fabulous, isn't it? It's actually Sebastian who presented the cap to him. He really? did. He did. <laughs> has he, has he uh, worn it ex, ex cathedra? Yes. Do we, have we have we seen we, it? We don't know. I mean, yeah. he's isn't he is he Argentinian or something? Yeah, I can't he's Argentinian. He's a big like devotee. Yeah. Of, I don't think he's still a big so football cricket. Yeah. Once had a sort of very brief foothold there, I think, but I don't know if he'd ever heard of it. Uh, I've got a feeling he's watched a cricket match in Argentina. I think we heard that from um, this lovely book, and we this lovely book by James Coyne and Timmy Abraham. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Vita down Latin American cricket. Vita burned down. But the Vatican, another kind of great example of what what cricket is like. You know, we envisaged we would be playing a bunch of, you know. 70 year old priests who we, we would be able to smash around in fact what it was was a load of 17 year old Sri Lankan seminarians <laughs> who seem to have spent most of their early life as professional cricketers three days in a row but they did then, they did we played it in the middle of a re- of a running track out uh, along the Appian Way yeah. uh, not a run a horse racing circuit yeah. along the Appian Way and yet yeah, they start, we've uh, we also faced the fastest bowler in Rome this Italian guy who had like a ponytail. He was a bit like Roberto Baggio. It was fantastic. <laughs> That's super. There is quite a tradition, isn't there, of of you know of writers playing cricket um, at various levels of competence. And the the authors used to include um, Arthur Conan Doyle, didn't it? A. A. Milne, P. G. Woodhouse. Yeah. 
Yeah, they had a few. They, I think they also had a, they had a kind of brief spell where people like Len Hutton played for them because they'd, they had, is this right, Matt? They had, they had sort of journalists that play for, you know, like. Yeah, in the 1950s or late 50s. So, it became quite yeah, big, yeah, so you'd end up with test players playing for them as well. Yeah. And Ed, Ed Giddings played for us once, didn't he? When we played against Smith, Japan. Yeah. John and Matt, um, your favourite cricket writers and why? Well, it's, it's someone you mentioned earlier, actually. And, and the why is because it's what I was brought up on. Um, and that was uh, reading The Guardian. So for me, it was Frank Keating and then Matthew Angle. Um, the two of them writing about cricket, both in newspaper and then books. And actually, Matthew writing about anything at all. Uh, was fantastic. Loved Frances Edmonds as well. But I mean, we're talking about time and place here. So she wrote diaries of England's tour in the West Indies. And to me, that's, I, I guess that's what made me love cricket and words even more than I already did, I think. But Keating for me was was always uh, sensationally good. Yes, I think they're all, I, they're all brilliant. I would, I would stick up for all of this. My first uh, sort of book about cricket that I loved and I, is my keystone book is the Barry Richards story. Which, which was ghosted by Martin Tyler, the, the football commentator. So I'm, I'm saying kudos to him. I always really like Peter Roebuck as people who played and written. He was tremendous. I liked him a lot, and I really like Christian Ryan as well, um, who wrote Golden Boy and uh, Feeling is the thing that happens in a thousandth of a second, and lots of other things. Chris, Christian's really interesting. You were talking about um, Night Watchman submissions before Richard. So, so it, when when you get submissions in from certain writers you 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 breathe a sigh of relief because you know you don't need you, you're just not going to have to touch it there's not going to be a to and fro and saying well this it might work better this way with christian i changed a comma in a paragraph three pages in he got straight back to me and said no that's ruining the rhythm what you've done there is ruining the rhythm and somebody who who cares so much about about writing i think is uh it's an amazing thing and christian's an astonishing writer. he is his piece about jeff thompson which was in Wisden Almanac. Yeah. Yeah. I'd direct to anyone who wants to read a, just an absolute, you know, bravura piece of cricket writing. Um, it's about a spell, you know, talking about club cricket, it's about a spell that Jeff Thompson bowls in grade cricket yeah. mm-hmm. when he's annoyed. I think it's called Jeff Thompson is Annoyed. <laughs> and I would point everyone to that piece. Where, where is that, John? That sounds wonderful. It was in Wisden Almanac. It's now, you can find it at various places yeah. online, right. I think. It's an absolutely sensational piece of writing. And then, and Australia, annoyingly, for being also brilliant at cricket, is at the moment is fantastic at cricket writing. I mean, they, they have Christian Gideon yeah. and Jeff Lemon. Yeah. Gideon Hayes. Yeah, they do. Yeah, Gideon, Gideon, of course, got to mention Gideon. Yeah, Gideon, Gideon obviously. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Frank, just I've worked with Frank for many, 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 many happy years. And he's a wonderful man. He had a capacity to sort of drink a huge amount and then go to bed at some ridiculous time, like, or, or, or if at all. And then by sort of 10 o'clock the next morning, you'd have in front of you, you know, a thousand immaculate, beautiful words um, of, of, on his column. He was an extraordinary man, Frank, and uh, taken from us too soon, sadly. Yeah. John and Matt, uh, it's been a wonderful hour of conversation. We could have had several more, I think, and drawn out a great deal more about cricket writing, but um, what you've told us is absolutely riveting. You've pointed us to so many great cricket writers that uh, we might have missed. Thank you very much for joining us. Maybe you'll come and have a second innings or even a third. Uh, but for now, it has to be goodbye from me, Richard Heller, even in an even sunnier southeast London. Thanks very much. And it's goodbye from uh, me, and thank you very much. Most enjoyable. Lovely. <laughs>